Thank you, brothers that read. Thank you, Eric, for leading us. Those are wonderful passages of Scripture, both Testaments, describing God's care for His people even when they are under affliction. Open your Bibles with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 for a few minutes. Let me introduce this subject and take a few points, and we'll finish it on Wednesday evening. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Charlie read to you about Hagar, Thou God seest me. I have preached that passage a couple of times. I've been through it many times reading. And yet today in verse 11, it refers to God hearing her affliction. So her moaning and her groaning and her praying and her pain, he heard it and and she renamed him, Thou God seest me. That was a blessing to me how thoroughly the Lord was attuned to Hagar, the bondwoman and the Egyptian of Abram's household. There's wonderful things that we want to comfort ourselves with about affliction. And Paul's example there that Jeff just read to us from 2 Corinthians 12 is wonderful. That his grace is sufficient. He prayed three times. And you would think that Paul would only have to pray once or twice or three times and the Lord would take it away. But the Lord did not take it away. But the Lord gave him the grace for it and gave him an opportunity to show God's strength and glory through his weakness that he wouldn't have had without the thorn. So we've got to have some thorns in order to be able to show Christ's power and strength through us and his glory upon us. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. God also hath set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. Even worldlings, when something good happens to them, will say to another worldling, you must be living right, as if only good things or unusual positive events come from God. Do you remember Mrs. Job? Michael Jones read to us the first chapter of Job, but in the second chapter, Mrs. Job got into the act, and she told Job that he ought to just curse God and die. And he said, should we receive good from the Lord's hand and not evil? She didn't, you know, Job knew the text, even though Ecclesiastes hadn't been written yet. But Mrs. Job didn't know it. We want to remember this text. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. We can thank the Lord and praise Him and be joyful for prosperity He sends. But in the day of adversity, consider God also, there's two things here by the word also, God also hath set the one over against the other, to the end that man should find nothing after him. God is behind every blessing, and God is behind every affliction. And we shouldn't ever forget that, and we shouldn't get confused, and we shouldn't think that affliction is in a different category, separate from prosperity, that one is God and one is partly the devil, partly the world. No, they're both the Lord. And just that simple fact is very Comforting. If we keep that fact before us. Job knew it. So Job could say, The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin and Job did not charge God foolishly. 
We never, ever in this church or in your families or in your hearts want to charge God foolishly for anything that happens in our lives. We do not want to sin that way. We sang some wonderful songs leading up to this moment, and one of them was cast down but not destroyed. From 2 Corinthians 4.9, that's the Apostle Paul. Even he, at times, was cast down. He was discouraged, but it never destroyed him. That means it did not interrupt his faith to where he lost his confidence and his joy in God. He was cast down about his circumstances, not his hope of eternal life, not God's faithfulness, not his duties. He kept them up. He would be cast down in some circumstances, but it didn't destroy him or alter his life of living for Jesus Christ. Both of these, prosperity and adversity, come from the Lord. God hath set the one, adversity, over against the other, prosperity, because He's chosen to do that, that we will not find anything in the world that is outside of His control and government, and that we will go to one place in either case. The Lord of heaven. He doesn't want us to find out anything else. He sends them both. And that point right there is just so precious. God hath set. When things happen in your life, and they happen in mine, you know, we all sit here today, and if we're all honest with each other and honest with ourselves, we have a great big pile of afflictions in all of our lives. There's, in, there's afflictions in all of our lives. But how are we going to respond to them? How are we going to view them, perceive them, understand them, and think about them? That's what I want to consider uh, in this sermon or two that I will preach to you. We have had our share of afflictions and trials recently, and it's good for us to consider them wisely. The Bible is a comforting manual for life from our Father in Heaven to deal with all such exigencies. You go to an exigent center when you have physical problems. Exigencies are problems or troubles in our lives, and the Lord's given us a manual to know about them. He wants us to know about them. He leads us by this book and tells us, that He sends them, why He sends them, that He limits them, that He can remove them, how we should respond to them, that we might get an answer different than the one we prayed for, but it will still get us through them. And other things, which I hope that uh, we will cover. We want to remember that. There is very specific advice in the Bible about the proper perspective and response to tribulations. A sinful world in which we live inhabited by sinful people, provides a combination for afflictions of all kinds on a frequent basis. God's best in the Bible have had afflictions. And so you don't want to think that because you have afflictions that there is necessarily something wrong with you. That is what Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar tried to tell Job, but that was not the truth. God was trying Job to show Satan that he was wrong. And God had perfect plan in the whole event, as you find out in the 42nd chapter. But when you look at the life of Jacob, when he stood before Pharaoh and described his life, he described it in some pretty ugly terms because his life had been difficult. And he had had lots of afflictions. But he's one of the great patriarchs of the Old Testament. And Joseph, from those years of 17 to 30, when he was down there in Egypt, a lot of afflictions and difficulties and troubles 
even though God had revealed himself to him as a young lad, that he was going to bless him and favor him above his brothers and above his parents. Moses, 40 years on the backside of the desert. 40? Listen, 40 years on the backside of the desert was a picnic compared to 40 years being the pastor of Israel. All you've got to do is read Numbers and Deuteronomy and find out, Moses, you should have stayed in the... Is that the right answer? Okay. Moses, back there, those 40 years in the backside of the desert were peaceful compared to what it was dealing with that stiff-necked, hard-hearted group of church members that he had in Israel. But the Lord, these are great men. Hebrews chapter 3 tells us that Moses was faithful in all his house. And yet he had a lot of afflictions in his life. How about Hannah being persecuted by Peninnah, the other wife in a polygamous marriage? How about David being chased by Saul and then chased by his own son, Absalom? And then he's on his deathbed. He's got a hose at his nose. And Adonijah's trying to take the kingdom away from him. I mean, that is just downright cruel. Couldn't they wait till he was dead? No, they waited until Adonijah was dead. Hezekiah, one of the great kings of Judah. You know, the trouble he had with Sennacherib and Rabshake and his fatal disease. But the Lord was merciful and took, took all of these men through their afflictions, even though some of their afflictions were still real to them, even at the moment of death. I've had occasion again to be in 2 Samuel 23 for David's mighty men, but the first seven verses of 2 Samuel 23 are David's last words. And the first few verses are David describing what a perfect ruler would be, a perfect king. And he's describing in prophecy the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, although my house be not so with God. So even there at the end, David knew that he had a messed up family in certain respects. And God's covenant with him was not going to grow. It was limited. But he had that covenant that his son would sit on God's throne forever. And so there was great consolation to David, even at a moment when as he's being forced to prophesy prophetically about the Lord Jesus Christ in a perfect family, he doesn't have such a family. And he says so on his deathbed. It's not the way you want to go out. You know, you want to go... well. My wife says the way you want to go out is lying, is sitting on the edge of your bed. This is Jacob. Sitting on the edge of the bed. The whole family comes around. You get to have nice pleasantries exchanged between them. Then you lay back in the bed and draw your feet up. Is this what the Bible says? Draws his feet up and gives up the ghost. That's, that's my wife. That's how she wants to go. Sitting on the edge of the bed. Chat with the family for a few minutes. Pull up your feet into bed and, and give up the ghost. Not have it ripped out of you. You know, by father time or whatever expression you want to think of as the Lord taking a departure. But, go back and look at that example in the Bible a little more closely and you find Jacob with his sons around his bed. And do you know what he's remembering? The afflictions in his family. There's been afflictions in great men's lives is what I'm trying to share with you. We had Job read to us by Michael. We think of the Apostle Paul and the afflictions in his life. If we're going to aspire to be like David, the man after God's own heart, we need to endure afflictions like David did. If we want to be conformed to the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to endure afflictions and trials like the Lord Jesus Christ did. 
When I use the word affliction for this study, we want to consider the these are Bible words, adversity, fear, temptations, tests, trials, pain, persecution, trouble, and so forth, all under the word of affliction. Trouble, pain, difficulty, tests, trials, and tribulations in your life. It can be in your health. We have a number of those. It can be in your finances. We have fewer. It can be in your employment. We may have a couple. It can be in your relationships, your family, your marriage, your children, or about any kind of problem that comes into your life. I wonder if down there in Houston, Joel is preaching today about many are the afflictions of the righteous. Have you ever heard a sermon like that out of Joel? But it, it's, it's what the Bible shows us from beginning to end. Did Abel have an affliction? Yeah, he had a brother named Cain. Do I need to say any more? There was affliction throughout the pages of Scripture. Did John have fl- affliction in the last book of the Bible? What's he doing on Patmos? Had he taken a cruise? What was he in Patmos for? Exiled there. But he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And wouldn't we all gladly exchange places with him to have, as it says, heaven opened? And to be able to see what was going on in the throne room of heaven? But he was there because he had been exiled. Patience, as I've tried to teach you, is not just waiting. Patience in the Bible, in a context of affliction, is cheerfully enduring negative events. And that is what we want to learn and understand, how we can do it, why we should do it, cheerfully enduring negative events. That's introduction. Let me have a couple of points. One, afflictions are from God. Look at Job 42. Afflictions are from God. Now I've got 25 or 30 points with material on how to view afflictions. And I know how many minutes I have. So I'm only going to cover one or two. But in my outline, I have written a little note to me that says, after this first one, do we really need any more help? Because the first one is, afflictions are from God. If God sends them, then that's good enough. That without any more elaboration, that's good enough. He is a, he is a magnificent, perfect, infinite, loving creator. If he sent them, he has a good reason, whether I can read it in the Bible or not. I'm just going to say God is greater than man, as was said in this pulpit already. Submit to it and be thankful for it and look for its silver lining. You know, it's some of the expressions that we might use. Afflictions are from God. Job 42. Now you know that in chapter 1 and chapter 2, I could show you that the afflictions that came on Job were from the Lord. Satan was just an instrument of secondary causes of them. He was the first cause. God chose. Here's Here's Elihu by the Holy Spirit summarizing the event of Job's recovery in Job 42.11. Well, let's get verse 10 so that you can see the context. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. (laughs) That would have been hard to do. Those three friends brutalized him for 30 chapters. 
and he prayed for them. But uh, the only way they could get forgiveness was for Job to pray for them because God wasn't in a mood to listen to those three guys after they had picked on Job so much. See, they were, they were accusing him of secret sins, that he was sneaking around committing adultery on, on uh, they didn't know about. And that's why God was judging him, because God blesses the righteous, and all they do is get richer and richer. And God only punishes the wicked hypocrites like you, Job, for 30 chapters. It goes, you know, on and on like that. And uh, Job had some choice things to say to those three buddies of his. Uh, but now he's got to pray for them. And when he prayed for them to show his humility and grace and thankfulness to the Lord and obedience, the Lord turned his captivity, verse 10, when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they that had been of his acquaintance before and had eat bread with him in his house and they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. And it goes and lists that great blessing. The point I want is the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Wherever we turn in the Bible, now this is one of the greatest demonstrations of affliction in the Bible is the book of Job, but it tells us that the Lord brought the evil upon him. Satan knew that the Lord did it. The Lord knew that the Lord had done it in chapters 1 and 2, especially the first half of chapter 2. When we think of the next cruelest, most afflicting event in the Bible, it's got to be the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying... If it be possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So that terrible event of the crucifixion, and we are incredibly thankful for that terrible event of the crucifixion, aren't we? But it was the will of God. Wicked men crucifying the Lord of glory without a just cause in a mock trial with bloodthirsty, rabid Jews calling for His blood. But it was the will of God. The first point we want to always remember, the Lord gave. The Lord hath taken away. What the Lord's made crooked, we can't straighten. What the Lord makes straight, we can't bend. Except within modest measures. And He knows all of them. And so He gives us afflictions at time. What the Lord takes away, we can't get back sometimes. What we, and so forth. But we always want to start there, and that's where Job started. I arrived naked. I'm going to leave naked. Everything I had, the Lord gave, and the Lord took it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, and He worshiped. When David's little boy died, as soon as he could tell by the whispering of his servants that the child was dead, he rose up, washed, changed, and went into the house and wanted to eat and went into the house of the Lord to worship. To worship. That was the Lord's will in the matter. To worship. 
He is great and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. There is absolutely no chance or fate involved in your afflictions. They are from God. We always want to remember that. No chance, no fate. It is from the Lord. The devil is not the origin of afflictions. It is the Lord that allows him at times to simply be a secondary means or cause of our affliction. The devil cannot afflict a herd of pigs without permission from the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil could not touch Job, and the devil said so in Job chapter 1. The reason that Job serves you is you have put a hedge around him, and everything he touches works. Take that hedge away and let me at him for a while. I'll rip away everything he owns. He'll curse you to your face. The devil knew about that hedge of protection. The devil knew that he couldn't get through it until the Lord would take it down and allow him to do what he did. So let's remember that God is in charge, and there's comfort in that. We believe and teach in the sovereignty of God. That means that God is the ultimate ruler and makes the decisions according to His own will and for His own purpose and His own pleasure in the creation and providence of the universe. We, we declare it. We trust our salvation to it. And this is where we ought to trust it most of all of the negative events that come into our lives. It will help us just to start. It's from the Lord. It's from the Lord. Knowing affliction is from God, and it's always for good reasons, but that's another point, should give us immediate comfort. If they are from God, if our afflictions are from God, then He knows all about them. He already knows all about them. He knows our capacity for being overwhelmed mentally. He knows our capacity for being overwhelmed in our souls, overwhelmed physically. He already knows that. And He already knows what He's sending and how serious it is. He knows all those things. And so just the fact of God's sovereignty and all afflictions come from Him result in us knowing, well, He knows all about it. He knows exact. You know, we don't have to inform Him, but we can go to Him and tell Him that we would like this thorn in the flesh removed, that it's painful, but He knows about it. You don't have to convince Him that you have a special affliction. He knows if He has given you a special affliction. He knows the details of it. He limits it. We're going to learn that in further in future points. But He limits it. If it's from God, then God is in control of the length of it, the intensity of it, the kind of it. He's behind all of that. And that is very comforting to know that He chose... He chose this kind of an affliction for me instead of what my brother so-and-so is dealing with. Because God makes that choice. He And I know he's infinitely wise. There is going to be profit in me getting this one and them getting that one. So I'm going to be thankful for the one I have, or the ten that I have, and trust the Lord for what he's given my brother. That means he can remove it. If God gave it, an affliction, the Lord can remove it. It means He can give grace for it because it's from the Lord. He knows how intense it is. He knows how much grace it would take for you to be able to bear it cheerfully. Our response should be just like Elihu. Since you're not far away, look at Job 33 and let's always remember, and you older members know this, 
very clearly, and Michael, I believe, just stated it to us, the five words that explain the whole book of Job. 33 and verse 12, I believe Joel said it. I'm getting confused now. Maybe it's been said a couple of times already in this service. God is greater than man. This is the explanation for the book of Job. There are five characters in Job that count. Job, his three poor, miserable comforters, and the young man Elihu. Of course, there's the Lord, Satan, and Mrs. Job, and the, and the Sabians and the Chaldeans, but there's really five main characters. The three poor friends, who were the, some of the wisest men in the world, that misapplied God's judgment on hypocrites against Job when he wasn't a hypocrite. And then there's young Elihu, and he takes up in chapter 32, but Elihu gives us the solution for the book in the 12th verse of chapter 33, and it should be highlighted, memorized, or put a star beside it in your margin so that you can easily find the solution for the book. Job 33.12, Behold, in this thou art not just. And that is his complaint against God, which is up in the verses preceding that Elihu is quoting from Job. Behold, in this thou art not just. I will answer thee. This is what he had been ready to burst for over the last 30 chapters and is now going to say, God is greater than man, period. You'll notice there's a period there. God is greater than man. That is what we believe. That is what we believe. And we must believe that at all times. God is greater than man. He can be doing it for all kinds of reasons, but He's greater than man, and we should humble ourselves and submit to Him because all our afflictions are from God. The way I look at it is, that's all we really need. Job thirty three twelve. God is greater than man. Afflictions are from the Lord. Let's look for the silver lining. Let's be thankful for them. Let's humble ourselves before Him and say, He must increase, I must decrease. You know, the more He gets me down, the more I rely on Him. That's a good thing. And just praise and direct our attention heavenward. Afflictions are for good reasons. I will not preach the 90-minute sermon on why bad things happen to Christians. I'll just remind you of it. There are four reasons, with some sub-reasons, why God sends afflictions in our lives. They're from the Lord, and they're for good reasons. The first reason is His glory. He got glory in John chapter 9 by a man being born blind. That man was born blind until about the age of 30 or so. And you might say, well, that's kind of cruel. Well, then you don't worship the God I do. And I'm sorry for your sake. You're not, you're not hurting him a bit. and You're not hurting, hurting me at all. Uh, if God wants to make a man blind for 30 years for God's glory, that's terrific. Amen. You know, maybe he got to meet, meet some pretty neat seeing eye dogs. Maybe he learned how to read Braille faster than anyone else in the learning how to read Braille class. I don't care what you have to think about it. If God wants to make a man blind so that Jesus Christ can come along when he's 30 years old and heal him from his blindness, that's a wonderful event in John chapter 9. 
When Jesus and the apostles saw this man that was born blind, the apostles said to Jesus, Lord, did this man sin or did his parents sin that he was born blind? You know, I'm thinking of three names when I hear that. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They're Job's friends. They're, you know, they're, they're all over the place. And do you know what your little soul's going to say to you when something negative happens in your life? God's judging me. God's judging me for my sins. But that isn't a conclusion we should necessarily draw. You should examine yourself to see if you're guilty of something. But God sends afflictions for other reasons. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar did not allow other reasons. And the apostles didn't allow other reasons. When they looked at a blind man, Lord, there's only two ways this could happen. Did he sin? That'd be pretty hard to be born blind. Or did his parents sin? And Jesus said, neither. This is for the glory of God. And so the first reason is the glory of God. Did you hear Brother Jeff read those first ten verses of Second Corinthians chapter 12? That God's glory comes through Paul's weakness so that Christ's strength can be magnified. To see a cheerful person bearing up with love of Christ and thanksgiving and appreciation and praise and honor to God in the midst of trials and tribulations, that is just flat out glorious. God sends afflictions for a trial of our faith to refine us. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Our faith can only get better if it is tried and put to the test so that it is increased and strengthened. He sends affliction for a trial of our faith to make us more perfect. We're going to have much more to say on this particular point. It, it, uh, there's a certain class of men that in the military, they only want one job. If they're in the Navy, they want to be a SEAL. If it's the Army, you know, they want to be a Ranger, a Green Beret, or Special Ops. If it's the Air Force, they want to be one of those forward air controllers that go out into a place like Afghanistan by themselves and mark places with lasers for missiles to hit and planes to come. I mean, they're, they're, they're of a different breed. They want to be out there by themselves behind enemy lines. Do you, they want to be the best. They want to be the best of the best. So do you know what they do? They sign up. They sign up so that they can go meet men that will cause them pain. And will push them harder than anyone else has ever pushed them in their life. And when they get up, barely able to go on, step on them and push their head back down into the sandy water. Men sign up for it. For a little medal. Sometimes just a little tab that says they're in a special branch or unit of the military. We're Christians. We have... We have a God that is far more benevolent toward us than those commanders. He understands our capacity. You know, sometimes they die in training. Are you, are you aware of that? That sometimes trying to get out of that cage that is spinning around underwater, they don't quite get out in time. Other men sign up that they want to play football and they want to play for a tough coach. I want, I want a tough coach to coach me in football. And they are pushed and pushed and pushed. And the goal is, 
I signed up for this school. I went to Ohio State or whatever school it is. And I want this tough coach because he will get the best out of me. They do that. Now a coach does not know the physical capacity of an athlete like God knows our capacity by every measure. They sign up for it. Why do we complain of it? Am I making any sense? They actually sign up for it, and yet we end up complaining about it, and we shouldn't. Lord, help us. There are good reasons, and one of them is to make us better. Actually, the Bible says to make us perfect. Now, it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. These saints were heavy in certain respects because of many temptations upon them. That the trial of your faith, that's like a Navy SEAL or special ops or Rangers or Green Berets, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Men will endure it for a little metal, We want to endure it and endure it cheerfully so that our faith will be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Well done, my thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. How do we get there? By afflictions. Because God sends affliction sometimes for a trial of our faith to make our faith stronger. God can send it to chasten us. And what is for sin? That's in Hebrews chapter 12 where it says, if you don't endure chastening, then you must be a bastard and not a son of God. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 13. Sometimes He allows affliction in our lives, which is simply the natural result of our foolishness. If we messed around in school, if we dropped out early, if we became a video gamer, if we didn't get a transferable skill, then we're going to suffer by not making money in the rest of our lives. That's just a natural consequence. Don't blame God because you're having such difficulty in that matter. It's your own fault and God's just allowed it to happen. You weren't out shooting in the backyard and up came bubbling crude. That was the Beverly Hillbillies, for those of you that are too young to know. God doesn't do that. So He he lets us realize the consequences of natural foolishness. And when we look at the Bible, those are the four big categories of why bad things happen. For God's glory, for the perfecting of our faith to make us better Christians, for the chastening of our sins to get us back in the way of righteousness, and the natural consequences of our own foolishness. All these reasons are very positive for God and for the person suffering the affliction. Those are the four categories, and they're all good. They're good for God. They're good for righteousness. They're good for us. They perfect us. We should be spanked for not going to school and being a video gamer between the ages of 8 and 28. We should be spanked. Lord, you're righteous. Look at Psalm 119. I'm almost done. Psalm 119. Here are three of Zach's favorite verses. The reason I know that is because Zach speaks his mind, as Joel informed us a few minutes ago. I like to know your favorite verses. 
I heard Jeff say that some of that red writing in 2 Corinthians 12 were some of his favorite words by the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, don't you want to jot those things down? Because the Lord deals with each of us individually and shows us things from His Word. And I, I like to hear what the Lord has shown each person that's humbled himself before Scripture and, and a verse speaks to them deeply and powerfully. But in Psalm 119, David, after God's own heart, a very afflicted man, knew that afflictions are for good reasons. So in verse 67 of Psalm 119, he wrote, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. You know, there's a change in his life because God afflicted him, and that was making him better. Chastening, refining, getting David into the way of righteousness. Just a great verse. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. I was wandering around, doing things my way, but then the Lord afflicted me, and now have I kept thy word. Then verse 71, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. He's referring back to verse 67 and saying affliction is a good thing because it teaches me God's statutes. And then verse 75, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. That is the spirit we ought to have toward them. Judgment, judgment as punishment is God's strange work, not his usual or desired work. Isaiah 28, 21 tells us that judgment or punishment is his strange work. So our first conclusion about a negative event in our life should not be to leap on the bandwagon of God's pounding me. That's the life as Bildad, Zophar, and apostles, and you. Because that's what we, we all tend toward that so quickly to leap to a false conclusion. And that's why I love the comfort of looking through the pages of Scripture and seeing men that God loved greatly and the tribulation and trouble that He put in their lives. We want to trust Elihu for what he said. Afflictions are from the Lord and they're for good reasons. And the Bible teaches us those reasons. We're going to have much more to say about this and maybe we'll do it on Wednesday evening when we come together after our family night supper. As I look through 25 or 30 reasons or categories or rules or principles of affliction that the Bible teaches, I have written down after the first one, should be enough. I have after the second one, this should take care of it. Because if they're from the Lord and if they're for good reasons, let's bear up under them as well as we're able. Let's ask the Lord for strength. Let's tell Him in the weakness that this creates in my life, if this will give you greater glory by showing your strength through my weakness, I will glory in these tribulations like Paul said he would. Because I want to have the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus Christ like Paul did. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. And may we be like Job. May we trust the Lord like Hagar did. You know, Hagar said, Thou God seest me. He sees everything going on in your life externally and internally. He sees and knows it all. He knows the thoughts and intents of our heart. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's not sin. Let's not charge God foolishly. Let's worship. 
him and trust him. God is greater than man. Amen. Amen.